All right, what is up, everyone out there in the podcast land? This is Chad the Mark from the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. And this is a weekend special where we decided to sit down and have a lengthy conversation with a Mr. Eugene Napoleon, a former running back for West Virginia University. So for all you Mountaineer fans out there, be sure to stick around and listen to the show. And I'll tell you, if you want to hear an inspirational and moving story about a man coming from you know pretty humble beginnings and honestly making the most of every opportunity, keeping your nose down, working hard. And I'm telling you, it was an infectious attitude. I'm inspired after talking to him. I hope you're inspired after listening to it. He's got a documentary coming out soon, and he's got his hands in all kinds of different things. And we're going to talk about it here on the show today. So sit back, enjoy, and meet Eugene Napoleon. Hey, everybody, don't forget to follow along and like us on your favorite social media platforms. If you're a Facebook fan, just search for We Don't Know Sports, the podcast. If Twitter is more your thing, you can find our handle at We Don't Sports. You can go old school and drop us a line through our email box. The address there is We Don't Know Sports at Yahoo.com. This podcast is hosted by the company SoundCloud and is available on Google Play and iTunes, Apple Podcasts everywhere. Please be sure to subscribe to get notifications whenever new episodes are available. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining me now is a former West Virginia Mountaineer, and I'm not even sure why we ever have to say former. This guy is forever a Mountaineer, but he hasn't worn the jersey for quite a while. He did go on to play after his Mountaineer days some pro ball and ultimately made his mark professionally after his post-playing days as an educator, an inspirational speaker, a best-selling author, an entertainment mogul, and marketing agent. He does have a documentary coming out uh, pretty soon, so we're definitely going to get to talk about that today. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Eugene Napoleon to the We Don't Know Sports podcast. Eugene, how are you doing today, sir? I'm blessed. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure being here. All the pleasure is definitely all ours, Eugene. We appreciate having you on the show. And honestly, you have a lot going on right now. We we have some exciting things that are coming up for you and your family, specifically something coming up around your birthday. And then we know we have a documentary out there as well, and we'll get to all that. But let's start off and, and tell everybody a little bit about Eugene Napoleon, life growing up in Jersey City. And, you know, let's just kind of go from there. Listen, I grew up in the Marion Garden section, uh, Jersey City, New Jersey. Uh, single parent home. I'm the youngest of seven. Um, you know, my mom buried five of her seven uh, children. So wow. that, that, yeah, that was tragic. My, uh, my nine-year-old sister saved my life um, when I was four. We had a huge house fire back in 1970. So, you know, when growing up in, in that, those sort of, sort of circumstances, it kind of, it molded and shaped me a little bit differently. Um, kind of, I was a serious kid, you know what I mean? Growing up, like I said, um, with those type of things happening, um, I learned early on not to take things for granted. So I remember being uh, seven years of age and telling my mom exactly what I wanted to do in life. It was interesting because I was watching uh, uh, Notre Dame uh, was playing Pittsburgh. So it was my first time seeing Tony Dorsett uh, run uh, on national television. And I remember my mom was in the kitchen. I remember it, I remember it vividly. I ran in the kitchen and told her, I said, Mom, you know, I know exactly what I want to do. I know exactly where I want to go to college. And again, I was just seven years of age. And, you know, my mom, thank God, was always the type of woman that would come out. You know, she would she would sit down with you, talk with you. She came out of the kitchen. We sat at the little dinette set. And she said, well, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I told her, I said, I want to go to Pittsburgh. I want to go to the University of Pittsburgh. I want to wear number 33, just like Tony Dorsett. And Instantly, he became my childhood idol as far as sports were concerned. My mom was my idol um, ordinarily, but from from a sports perspective, it was Tony Dorsett. I grew up a big Pitt fan because of him. I grew up loving the combination colors, blue and gold, loving the number 33, the whole nine. So at seven, I told my mom that, and she helped me to formulate this blueprint um, as to how I was going to accomplish that. My mom was never one. When you say you wanted to do something, she was always one to say, okay, well, how are we going to accomplish this? It's too easy to say it. How are we going to, how are we going to accomplish it? So from that day you know, forth, we mapped out a blueprint as to how you know, those things were going to come about in my life. So again, I just learned 
the importance of follow through, um, mapping out goals, setting goals, uh, doing the little things to accomplish those goals and being consistent. So all the way through, you know, that was the early stages of me, you know, pretty much putting something on paper and following it through. And uh, I thank God because every step of the way, my mom was always there. Um, I wound up going to St. Joseph's of the Palisades High School, um, which was a blessing again, because I met Frank Argiulo, who was my head coach and, and also the building's principal. And he had played at Notre Dame. You know, he was a fullback at Notre Dame. So he had, you know, some pretty good college, you know, connects. But more importantly, he gave me an opportunity to kind of grow into myself and, and, and you know, gave me a challenge to be a good student. Uh, St. Joe's is a really good high school, so you had to be a good student. It wasn't just about playing sports, but more importantly, it was about a 45 minute to 50 minute bus ride from Jersey City, uh, you know, up into West New York, New Jersey. So that also taught me getting up at five o'clock in the morning, walking 12 blocks up a hill, getting on a bus, 44 Park Avenue bus, and, and riding 45 minutes to an hour, to, to 50 minutes to, to school, every day to and from, it, it, it was a serious time commitment, but it also taught me about time management. So for four years, that's what I did. And sure enough, everything that he had said that would happen for me, had I worked hard, it, it materialized. I wound up being high school American, making seven high school American teams back then. Uh, Tom Lemming, who was currently out today, just still doing what he was doing back back in the, in the mid eighties. Um, I made a lot of his all American teams and, uh, you know, was recruited by every major college in the country. So uh, I wound up going to Pittsburgh. So at seven, you know, saying that I wanted to do that, it wound up, you know, becoming so. Uh, it came down between uh, Oklahoma and Pitt, and I chose Pittsburgh. Eugene, I got to tell you, that's impressive to be a seven-year-old and already know what you want to do. And it's one thing to know it and another thing to do it. But I got to ask you, as you went through high school, were you just a football player? Did you did you play any other sports? I mean, wh how did you kind of develop your love for football above everything else? It was funny. My first sport was, believe it or not, baseball. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really good at baseball um, because I was the fastest kid on the team. Uh, I think in one season, if I'm not it was a it was actually a Jersey City record for a long time. I think I had the most inside the park home runs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I forget the exact number, but it, it I mean, it was it was a pretty good uh, amount of inside the park home runs. And I actually thought that I would play uh, baseball and basketball because I was really good at basketball as well. But football became. um Something that was just different. You know, I got on the field and uh, it's hard to explain. It's just it was very hard to not love playing football. So once I got to high school, you know, all the way through Little League, I played baseball, basketball, football. But once I got to St. Joe's, my freshman year, I did play basketball. I averaged about 24 to 25 points a game. It was pretty good. but in the back of my mind, I kind of understood that I wasn't going to grow to be 6'6". <laughs> <laughs> so after my freshman year, I just kind of stuck with football. That was it. But um, yeah, I was I was pretty good. I mean, any sport I played, you know, growing up as a kid, I was pretty good at um, just the determination. And, and I'm a competitor. I mean, I, I just I love competition. So I got so, I got to know playing on the baseball diamond. What, what position were you? I was a center fielder. And I played a little bit of pitcher and a little bit of third base. Okay. Uh, what did you, yeah. you prefer the most, though? Where, where did you find yourself at home? Honestly, center field. Okay. Well, you got to use that speed, right? You got to cover the outfield. Yeah, center field. I mean, I was – yeah, yeah, I, I, I was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, if, I, if, if I do say so myself. Um, <laughs> and we had some good teams. That's another good thing, too. We, we had a lot of talent. A lot of my friends, you know uh, – Sometimes it, it bothers me when I think back on it because as good as I was, trust and believe, I had some talented kids that, that, that played with me growing up. And, you know, unfortunately, some of them made just the wrong choices. They, they, they chose to go in a different direction. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't my direction. Um, I grew up and, and still to this day, I don't drink. I never drank. I don't, I don't know what beer tastes like. Never smoked a day in my life. So 
Um, I, I also credit that to growing up in, in, in Marion Garden projects where there were a lot of people who kind of looked after me to say, listen, you have a chance to be successful. We want to see you make it. So there are certain things that we just don't want to hear about you doing, number one. Number two, I had a greater respect for my mom. Um, you know, she had she had gone through so much hardship in her life that I did. I just didn't want to be the one being the youngest. Um, I didn't want to, you know, disappoint her, or upset her anyway. So I tried really hard to stay out of trouble. And uh, I thank God that sports was was the direction for me to 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 allow me to do just that. Well, it's definitely an outlet for a lot of people. And I think you said it best when you were talking about earlier, you know, it's not just about being good at, at sports, but, you know, making those early bus trips, waking up at 5 a.m. and the dedication you put in. Yeah, fair to say that probably shaped a little bit of that character that you're talking about, right? No doubt about it. Uh, no doubt about it. And it also comes down to as well. I was fortunate because even in Little League to have Frank Precop, um, uh, his son, Ron Precop. You know, these guys were my little league coaches. And you talk about men of character, men of morals, men that stood on value. I was fortunate to, to have those guys as, you know, as early as I was at, at, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And then to go to high school and, and, and be part of that staff with, you know, Frank Gargiulo and his staff, they were great men. So I had a really solid foundation of what it was supposed to be not about just winning football games, but about growing in the sport, learning the sport, but also using that to be successful in life after football. Each of those coaches, you know, left something, you know, inside of me to understand that, it, you know, it's not just about being uh, a great athlete. You know, Mr. G used to always say, listen, you're going to be a human being far longer than you're going to be a football player. So it's more important to be a good person. I don't care how many yards you ran for, how many touchdowns you scored. People soon to they forget that it's about the kind of person you are that they will always remember. And those are the things outside of me, you know, being a student athlete on his team that he really, really, you know, he pretty much instilled that in all of us, not just me. That's just the kind of man he was. You know, to this day, I still stay in touch with my high school coach to this day. Okay, so let's pick up senior year high school. You've you've kind of put baseball, basketball on the back burner. You've excelled at, at football. You've become a high school All-American. Time for the recruiting process to kick in. Let's go there. Sure. Oh, it was crazy. Um, my, rec <laughs> my recruiting process was ridiculous because, you know, whenever you're an All-American, I didn't realize that, you know, it was a different level of recruiting for all Americans, kids that were all state and kids that was all county. And it, in the initial stages of it, I had no idea about that. So literally being contacted by every major college in the country, it was overwhelming, starting in my sophomore year all the way through my senior year. It was an overwhelming process. Um, just knowing that I've always wanted to go to Pitt, I kind of they kind of just stood at the top. But everybody else from Oklahoma to Ohio State to Alabama to Georgia and everybody in between recruited me every week. It was a different top five. Well, I should say a different top four because Pitt was always number one in my mind. Um, that process took a while to really, you know, finally will it, uh, uh, will it down to just a top five that I can be comfortable with. My senior year, I wound up getting injured the fourth game of the season. So at that time, I was leading the state uh, in the county and rushing in scoring. But getting injured, I had to I hate to say it this way, probably was the best thing for me because it allowed me to sit down <laughs> and really focus on finishing my senior year, being the best student I can be at St. Joe's, but more importantly, setting up my visits. So going through the, 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 my, my visits, I remember, I think I went to Maryland first. Went to Maryland. I go to Maryland and I started to understand, like I said, the difference between, you know, being an All-American versus the kid that was an All-State kid. Sure. You know, I stayed in the best of the hotels. Maybe those kids stayed at a dorm on campus. Um, I would go, let's say, to the head coach's house for dinner. Maybe they would go out, you know, around to maybe the, the, the local restaurant for dinner. So it was interesting and I couldn't, you know, there would be myself and maybe two or three other kids that were like me that were highly nationally, nationally recruited like I was. 
it would be the three. If, if we took visits and let's say eight kids or 10 kids on a visit, myself and maybe two other kids would be that level of recruit. And then we would wonder, well, well wait a minute. Well, how come those guys aren't coming? And it, it took a minute for them to, to explain to me, well, dude, like you're on a totally different level. <laughs> we, we don't have, we don't have time for everybody, but we're going to make time for you. Right. So it, it was interesting to understand that. And to be honest with you, about the third visit, I was at Iowa and I don't know, it, it just dawned on me that I, I, I didn't like that. <laughs> to be honest with you, I didn't like I didn't like the process because I'm thinking, OK, I never viewed myself or looked at myself as, you know, I'm this grandiose person or whatever the case may be. To me, it was. I'm just like everybody else. But when you get into that level of recruitment, you're not like everybody else. And all American is an all American and all state kid is an all state kid or all county kid is an all county kid. I get it. But the treatment was different. So at an early age, I understood, you know, you're more or less a commodity. And if, you know, if you get wrapped up in that stuff, that can hurt you as well. So I kind of made sure I stayed humble. I kind of made sure that none of that stuff really fazed me too much. Um, and, and, and maybe that was the reason, too, when I did finally, you know, made my, my, my selection to go to Pitt, a lot of those other schools were really upset because, again, what I didn't realize, which I see now all these years later, recruiting is a totally, it's a monster. It's, to, it's a totally different game than what it was when I came out. But those schools were, was upset because every All-American that a coach would get, there was bonuses, obviously, in their contract. There were you know, if you land the number one recruiting class, you know, this coach might get 50 grand more, $100,000 more in his contract for having the number one or top five recruiting class in the country. Back then, I wasn't really focused on that. Well, and that's, but, not, that's but not necessarily your problem, you know, but at the same time, you know, I can imagine a coach being upset, you know, they spend all this time with you and, and you know, it doesn't happen for whatever reason, you know, to them. They they don't they don't care where you're going unless it's to their school. So I, I can oh, definitely understand them getting a little upset if uh, you're not following back up after those visits. <laughs> oh no doubt. You know, I wound up going to Pittsburgh. I remember the first day stepping on campus. It was raining, and it seemed like it rained for two weeks in a row. And I remember calling my mom and saying, "Oh my goodness gracious, man! All it it rains here all the time." <laughs> so. You know, I'm like, oh, man, for some reason, I said, Mom, this is, I, I don't know. It's different than what it was when I took my official visit here. And she said, well, how so, son? So I'm like, I, I can't put my finger on it, but it's just different. Now, when I first got there, my recruiting coach, uh, Coach Turner, had left the very same day. It was almost like I'm getting, you know, off the plane and he's getting on the plane to go to USC. <laughs> so I can remember that distinctly because he was such a great recruiter and he reminded me so much of my high school coach that um, he was one of the major reasons. And outside of, like I said, me wanting to go there since I was seven, but he had a uh, he played a great role in, in my recruiting process. So when he left, I kind of felt like, man, this is kind of crazy, even though I had Andy Urbanic, who was the running back coach at the time. And then Coach Fazio, God bless his, his soul to the grave, he went was the head coach. You know, you build a certain relationship with your recruiting, you know, guy, the guy that recruited you, you know. Sure. Um, so that bothered me a lot, you know. So I would say that was the first thing that really bothered me. Going through the, the process of, of preparing to be a, a freshman that I was kind of told that I wasn't going to be redshirted. So I kind of went into camp knowing already eh, I got a good chance of not being redshirted. And I wasn't. You know, uh, which when I look back on it, hindsight, that was 20, you know, 2020 tells me they probably should have registered because what happened the weeks, you know, moving forward into my, my, my freshman season in 1985, um, had they registered me, things probably would have turned out a little bit differently. Fourth, going into the fourth game, my, my older sister passed away of a brain aneurysm. Oh, wow. Um, it, it, it just it, it shook me to the core. I mean, it really, it was a devastating loss in, in, in my life and my family's life. So I immediately flew home uh, right after we lost to, it was Purdue, right after we lost to Purdue. Um, no, excuse me, I'm sorry, Ohio State. We lost to Ohio State. So I flew home after that game 
And um, it was tough. It was a tough week, you know, being home, dealing with the loss of my sister. Um, we were playing uh, Boston College at home. Um, I'll never forget, you know, just the way it was handled. It was it, initially it was handled with a lot of class. Uh, Pittsburgh since, I mean, it was beautiful flowers and bouquets and, and all these different things to, to the funeral home. And it, it that was, you know, that was handled with such class. After we buried my sister, we're, we're just getting home, maybe an hour into it. And I'm, I'm at the house, the phone rings. And of course, it's, it's the head coach. And he speaks to my mom and lets her know that, you know, again, again, he's sorry for her loss. And then he proceeds to say, we need Eugene back on campus. So immediately it struck me as odd. We literally just buried my sister, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, you know, prior to that phone call. And the only thing on your mind is getting because we're going to play, ironically enough, West Virginia at West Virginia. So here you are at 18, 19 years old at the time. You just went through this tragic event where you lost your sister and don't even have the time to emotionally at least not not necessarily move on because we don't ever move on but just to try to get to a secure place and and now the business side of football has come back around and they're telling you we need you back exactly and that was something that struck me as i mean it hit me as hard as as you would think it would because the first thing that that, that, that resonated with me was wow this is business <laughs> this is the business of major college sports. This is the business of major college sports. I, I get it. Didn't like it. And my mom, I remember her. Oh, I'm sure being, she I'm sure your mom didn't like it at all. Oh, she didn't like it at all. But you know, my mom sat me down and said, listen, um, this is what it is, and this is what you have to do. Um, your your scholarship is there. You have to go back. I was more concerned with my mom. Dealing with that and, and just, you know, it, it, again, it was a tough, it was just a tough deal for all of us. So I flew back <laughs> that Sunday, that Sunday morning, buried my sister on Saturday, got back on a plane, Newark, New Jersey, flying back to Pittsburgh at nine o'clock Sunday morning to, to, to go to coach's office and sit down with him and be prepped and, and how to deal with the media. Because supposedly I was going to start against West Virginia as a true freshman. Um, and the whole week I took all first team reps, went through the whole media blitz, the whole nine yards. We get to Morgantown and then I'm told the night before through the walkthrough that, uh, I'm not going to start. So that was another whirlwind of emotions. Cause it's like, well, wait a second. If I went through this whole process, you could have left me at home for another few days with my mom. So it was at that point in my mind that I said, okay. Enough's enough. Uh, it's time for me to transfer. You know, I'm, I think I'm going to transfer. You know, let me do something that's in my best interest. It's in my family's best interest. It's time for me to, to go ahead and, and leave. So I knew before that game that I was going to transfer out of the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and a lot of people didn't understand. You know, there were some who obviously didn't want me to go there in the first place because they felt that, you know, uh, Pitt probably out of all of the choices in the country you know it was my dream school since i was seven years of age so that's the reason why i made that choice there were other friends of mine who who watched the closely the recruiting process were like oh my god man alabama georgia auburn oklahoma you know usc notre dame like who a picks anybody yeah <laughs> out of all of those schools not, but, you know, for my true close friends, they understood it because they were with me through Little League and Pop Warner and all of that. So they understood um, where my heart was and they understood why the choice was made. But they were equally uh, excited for me when I when I decided to transfer because I got five more visits. <laughs> so to open the process up all over again and do it all over again. But you know what? This time I was more mature, emotionally able to make a better a better choice because then I understood the business of major college football. You know, I understood it the second time around more than I did the first time around. So we go back into the recruiting process because you're going through the transfer now. So so how does that go, and how did you ultimately end up making the decision you made? It was an interesting process, similar to high school, but a little bit more aggressive because now the second time around, there, was, there were a lot of schools like Michigan, um, West Virginia, 
was always there. Um, Coach Simmons, Ron Simmons, God bless him, did a heck of a job recruiting me in high school and did a heck of a job getting me when I decided to transfer. The biggest key to that was I needed to come someplace where it was more than just football. I needed to come someplace where the head coach stood on some values and had some morals and understood that um, there was a culture of accountability and there was a culture of just we're going to do the right things. You're going to work hard, um, but you're going to be accountable. I needed that. I definitely need and I needed that structure. When I took my visit to Morgantown, the strangest thing happened. I met an older couple um, right on High Street on uh, on campus, and they must have talked to me for about an hour or so. And they spoke to me like I was their grandson, man. It was, it, it was, and I tell people this story all the time. It was an amazing experience because they had no idea that I just lost my sister. They had no idea what I just went through emotionally. They had, they had no idea what my family went through, but they sat down there and spoke to me. Um, that resonated with me so much because I understood that it was more than just football and they were fans, but more importantly, they, they were just, it, it touched me in a different way. My visit was a really good visit. Coach Nealon was as honest as a coach can be in his situation. What I'm, and what I mean by that is, I'll clarify that, he didn't make any promises. He said, listen, we wanted you out of high school. You knew how badly we wanted you out of high school. You didn't take a visit to Morgantown out of high school, but, you take, <laughs> but you're here now. Um, I want you to know that um, you will get every opportunity. If you work hard, you do what you're supposed to do. You will get every opportunity to, to, to understand what it means to be a mountaineer, um, to, 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 to play for this great state, for this great university. Um, I mean, he not only said the right things, I can tell he's very sincere about that. And it made me feel good that I wasn't being promised, you know, as I wore a few short months prior to that coming out of high school, that I wouldn't be in promised the world. Um, I didn't need that. I wasn't that type of kid. You know, you didn't have to paint, you know, different pictures for me to understand. I just wanted a place where I can come, work hard, be treated fairly and be given an opportunity. And that's what West Virginia offered. So um, that was one. And in two, the most <laughs> important criteria was I wanted to come someplace that played against Pitt every year. <laughs> well, that's that. That probably makes a lot of people listening pretty happy right now after talking about Pitt first. <laughs> so. You know, that, you, you know, ultimately it was the best choice for me. And I, I would say had I visited uh, West Virginia out of high school, I probably would have made that choice out of high school, to be honest with you, because that's how much of a difference West Virginia made in my life. You you decided to come to Morgantown. What, what's your first impressions once you get on campus and, and what's it like sitting out that first year? I absolutely loved it because, again, coming from an inner city like Jersey City and then coming from a, you know, uh, inner city, you know, campus like Pittsburgh, coming to Morgantown, obviously, it's, it's totally different. But I found it for me to be relaxing. Again, something that I needed. <laughs> I really needed to just come someplace where I can just relax. And it was a much, much slower pace. Um, I thought, you know, I remember telling my mom. What a beautiful campus. What a beautiful state. I enjoyed all of that and needed it. Sitting out that first year was difficult because I wanted to play so bad, but I understood the transfer rules. So there was nothing I could do about that. Um, I was able to go to every game, obviously, but I couldn't wait to get on. The, I couldn't wait to put that uniform on and come out the tunnel and, you know, play for, you know, for the fans and all of that. I couldn't wait for that. But that year was a good thing too, because I really needed to get my head straight. I really needed to, to, to take everything in and kind of go through the process and, and just slow things down because it seemed like everything was going so fast that I needed that period to kind of adjust. So that came at the right time as well. You know, um, sitting out that year, uh, just going to school as a student, uh, it gave me some time, like I said, to readjust. It gave me some time to kind of press the restart button um, and just get my, my feet wet you know, as a student on campus and get to meet people and all of that and really take it all in. Then knowing that come spring, I'm going to get a chance to get on the field and do the things that, that I, you know, that God gave me the ability to do. So it all happened for a reason and, and it was much needed at the time. Everything seemed to fit at that particular time. 
Okay, so we got you now in Morgantown. You you get out of your transfer, you know, suspension more or less. You're not sitting around anymore. You finally get to see the field. So what what were some of your high points, you know, playing in Morgantown? What are some of the things that stand out to you and and what are the the most fondest memories that you take away from your playing days there? I definitely would say the first time coming out of a mountaineer field um after sitting out was one of the most emotional uh, periods in, in, in my career because all the frustration, all of the preparation, all of those things just kind of hit you all at once. Especially for me, it hit me all at once. So it was almost like I hyperventilated the first time I ran into the field to see all of those fans and, and just to hear the aberration that they have, you know, for our program, y- you almost can't put words to it. You know, it was deafening you know, you couldn't hear yourself breathe almost. It was really that loud. And it was such a great feeling. Now, I've seen that the year prior being, you know, in a pit uniform. Um, but to be in a Mountaineer uniform and come in your home, uh, it's just a different feel. So that the first time stepping on a Mountaineer field, I would say, was just unbelievable. Um being able to play and contribute to a team that was a well put together team. Don Nealon and that staff did a heck of a job recruiting and getting the best out of every position. And I remember that distinctly because I didn't, I didn't feel, I felt at West Virginia the same way I felt in high school. It was such a close knit team with really good coaches that stood on some principles. And that's the stuff that I remembered in high school. I didn't have that at Pitt. So that was a distinct difference. I remember that. Obviously, to, you know, get to the 88 season. Man, what a ride that was. Being able to play for a national championship against Notre Dame, but also being able to see all your dreams come true and know that you are a major contributor on uh, that level of a program where you're undefeated. That's unbelievable. And uh, taking that last lap around the field, beating Syracuse that year to to cement an 11-0 season was unbelievable. That feeling was unbelievable. Um, breaking one long against Penn State, um, you know, on national television and, and taking it to the house. Uh, I think I saw that was a 69-70 yard scamper there down the left sideline, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sir. You have a great memory. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know, well, it, it's easy because the the one thing almost every Mountaineer fan will tell you is, is some will say that that team is the greatest team in the 125-plus years of Mountaineer football. And then and the ones that won't tell you that, they definitely put it in the top two or top three. To be part of that is unbelievable. My senior year um, – the downside of my senior year, I got hurt uh, in camp. Uh, I cracked a bone in my right ankle that never really healed properly throughout my senior year. So I played every game hurt. But nonetheless, it was still a, a wonderful opportunity. We finished up, unfortunately, losing to Clemson in the Gator Bowl. But once again, to play in three bowl games at a major level, uh, nationally ranked every single year, that's nothing to sneeze at and to be part of that. All those memories, I remember those games as if, as if they were yesterday, playing with to me, one of the greatest college football players at any position at any given time, and that's Major Harris, is something that I, I will remember and cherish for the rest of my life. Uh, he and I are still close to this very day. Um, those things you don't forget. You know, I, I hold that close and near dear to my heart because that team, like I said, um, you, you you go in as strangers, but you leave as brothers. So those memories um, I will take with me for the rest of my life. So now that your football career, as far as collegiately goes, was starting to wind down, you know, you got, you got a college education. You're, you're starting to think about the next step in life. So where's your head at right now as you're winding down your senior season, you're done with the Gator Bowl, Clemson's behind you now. What's the next step look like for you and where's your head at? It's interesting. Um, now you go through the whole agent process. Uh, a few agents, they contact you. They want to know what's going on. They knew I fought through injury plague season. Um, I knew Mel Kuyper. So Mel, you know, would contact him to find out what his thoughts were. Um, and he let me know early on that 
because I was going through an injury play, you know, season that, you know, my stock wasn't going to be, you know, uh, high just because I was hurt every game. So being a smaller back, you know, I weighed about 178, 180. Um, but again, I was a fourth, uh, four, three guy before my ankle injury, a four, four, three, three, um, four, three, two was my 40 times. I was benching, uh, 425 pounds squatting about 650. So, you know, pound for pound, one of the strongest kids on the team. So all that was good. But again, I was hurt my entire senior year. So he let me know I was going to be potentially a mid to late round draft pick. So my head was, OK, I got to get my ankle healthy. I got to be able to when the, when these scouts come through here on pro day, I got to be able to put up some good numbers and get myself, you know, in the best shape well, ankle wise healthy. Um, as I possibly could if I want to realize my dream of playing on Sundays, which back then, every everybody, if you played major college football, you know, you had the you had the dream of playing in the NFL. The blessing, to be honest with you, for me was football never. Uh, I didn't have an, uh, an identity crisis. Um, I didn't think that football was the tell all end all for me. So it wasn't as if if I didn't make it in sports. Um, I didn't view my life as being successful. So I kind of had, uh, and I thank God again for my mom and, and my, my coaches prior to getting to college. That wasn't the most important thing. Of course, it was a definitely a goal, but it wasn't the most important goal. The most important goal was making sure that I finished what I went to college to get, and that was a college education. The second goal was to fulfill a, a childhood dream and, and, and play professional football. Now, mind you, Professional be, means being paid for a skill. So obviously the NFL being the biggest, uh, the CFL, the AFL, and all these other leagues back then, I wound up not getting a shot. I didn't get drafted. Uh, 20 of the 28 teams that came to work me out uh, at WVU uh, had me listed either as a late-round draft pick, similar to what Mel Kuyper said, a late-round draft pick, or a free agent. And unfortunately, I didn't get drafted and I didn't get picked up as a free agent. So I wound up getting a contract back then in the World Football League. Okay. Um, you know, I get a contract in the World League. And then two weeks before I was to go to report to camp, I get a letter saying because of all of the, I'll never forget the, the, the wording, because of the late influx of all the NFL players, we cannot honor your contract. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I wound up going back. Actually, I stayed, I was still on campus in Morgantown and major Harris, my guy hits me up. Um, he's playing at the time in the AFL and he's telling me about this arena football league. And I'll never forget it. I, I, I credit major for talking me into playing in the arena football. League. I never thought about it. So I get a phone call from the Tampa Bay storm. They want me to come out to fly out. They flew me out to just watch a practice initially. So I do that. And um, it winds up being an opportunity for me to go ahead and play. So uh, I signed a contract as a free agent in the AFL uh, for Tampa Bay. Make, make the team. Wound up being a kickoff return specialist. Um uh, in a slot receiver. And then of course you got to go both ways. So I wound up playing corner, uh, for, t for the Tampa Bay storm midway through the year. I wound up being picked up by Orlando, the Orlando predators. So that whole year, I didn't lose a game because <laughs> we were, I think four and or five and oh in Tampa Bay. And I wound up going to Orlando, I think fifth game and wound up winning all out, winning every game there. So I wound up playing, find, finding myself in the Arena Bowl my rookie year, <laughs> their version of the Super Bowl. All right. Well, you, so, could, you couldn't get it done in college because, you know, Notre Dame and all that stuff happened in the Fiesta Bowl, bad luck and all that. So then we go to the Arena Football League, and now, now you do you get a ring for that? I mean, how, I mean, how's that championship feel? Well, yeah, well, you don't, get a, you don't get a ring for losing, unfortunately. We, <laughs> oh. we lost to Detroit. <laughs> I jumped ahead. I was just, you know, you were so excited talking about the winning streak there. I just assumed that, you know, it was coming. No, we lost to Detroit. But again, I played with some great players in the AFL. I mean, it, and again, you learn so much because 
I think for me, that opened up an opportunity to go to jump from the AFL to the CFL. I got signed uh, to go play in Saskatchewan, which was, again, which was another interesting process all in, all in itself. Uh, you just learn so much about yourself when you are playing at a, at, a, at a level where people are paying you to play. And what I mean by that, you can easily get lost in the, the glitz and glamour of being a professional athlete if you're not grounded. If you're not first grounded, you can get lost in that whole process. So I think, again, I thank God for my teachings, for my mom and for my high school coach and from even from Don Nealon to understand this is not, you know, you're not just a football player. There's a lot more to come with it. You know what I mean? So it didn't take me too long to understand that, you know, pro sports is a beautiful thing. It's a great opportunity. It's a blessing. But after a while, you got to start thinking about an exit strategy and what you want to do when your career is over. So I was already thinking about, you know, starting a company, you know, doing some things that that that, you know, I dreamt of doing outside of playing sports, but being a businessman and those sorts of things. I started formulating that exit strategy when I first started playing, um, you know, in the AFL, which I'm glad I did. Because it wound up working out just that way. The minute I retired, I went to Wall Street. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. A lot of athletes don't necessarily, you know, look at that long term initially. And when you really look at, especially people in a situation like like you were in, where you didn't necessarily get drafted, you you were just trying to find a spot on the roster, and you ended up playing. The shelf life for the amount of years you're actually going to be playing professionally isn't necessarily going to be a long thing. Now, it can always turn around for some people, but at least you have the foresight to look ahead long term. So you, you realize your football career was winding down. You retired. Now you're going professionally. So, you know, we, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, there's a lot of things that you got your hand in right now. So let, let's start about how that or let's talk about how that started. And, you know, what did you first do? You said you went to Wall Street and then kind of take me through the process yeah. to where you got involved in everything you're in today. Sure. When I went to it's funny, when I went to Wall Street. Um, I just got married. Um, my wife, you know, <laughs> tremendous story, but she was she was an athlete as well. Basketball player. Uh, All-American, uh, Hall of Famer, the whole nine in basketball. And she also had the ability to sing. So I remember telling her through, through my playing career, like, hey, you know what? Listen, her, 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 her real name is Tracy. Her stage name is Naya, N-Y apostrophe A. I remember telling her, when I'm done with this, I'm going to focus all my time on getting your stuff out there because she was. She writes all her own lyrics. Just a tremendous writer and a tremendous vocalist. So that's what I wound up doing when I went to Wall Street. I wound up partnering up with Russell Rosenthal, who was a tremendous individual. Gave me an opportunity to 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 come out and and be a silent business partner with me uh, with our record label. So I started an independent record label, uh, Nap Records, NAP Records, back in you know back in nineteen ninety six. So we wound up putting out my wife's first album in 1997. Well, no, excuse me, 95, and we put the first album out in 96. And lo and behold, I got a distribution deal with Ichiban, which at the time was one of the biggest independent you know, distributors and labels in the country. So we, we, we put this album out. It's called Embrace. And you know, after a while, the daggone thing just blew up. I mean, it went gold. <laughs> I, you, know, you know, I don't even know the first place you would even start to to begin to create a record label. And here you are one year in, and you get a gold album. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that whole process was so funny because, again, it goes back to, to playing professional sports. I bumped into so many people. and It's weird. When you're playing a sport, you meet people that are entertainers that want to be athletes. And then the athletes want to be, you know, entertainers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it so, goes. Though. You know, just on flights and flying from different places. You meet different people. So I had met a whole bunch of record executives. I had met a whole bunch of uh, uh, people that were in like, you know, uh, uh, PR firms. I met a whole bunch of stylists. I met a whole bunch. of it, it was producers. It was interesting. You meet these people and they want to be around you just because you play, you know, ball. And for me, I'm taking cards and jotting down names. And I'm like, OK, well, you know, one of these days I can call this person. I met this person. And you also start to to, to go through the process of 
you know, who's real and, and who's not. <laughs> Who wants to be around you just because they want a few free, free tickets and all of that good stuff versus the ones that really want to help you when you're done with playing. So I was fortunate to have that process in meeting people like Doak Turner, who's from St. Albans, West Virginia, um, who's uh, who loves the Mountaineers. And when I was on campus, I went to his, his uh, little brother's high school to do a speaking engagement and autograph signing there, you know, many years prior. He was in the Arena Football League as, as an executive um, uh, in the Charlotte organization. Okay. So, I mean, that was an interesting combination because Dope was in the music industry as well on the radio side and the promotion side for many years. He's a little bit older than I am. So when I got out of school, you know, to, to go through that process, to, to, to bring it full circle and be and, and get into the music industry and the bump back into him was a beautiful thing. <laughs> it was a blessing in disguise. So I wound up when I took the Wall Street job and, and, and met with Russell Rosenthal, the first thing that we talked about was, well, what are some of the things that you want to do? And I mentioned that my wife, you know, was a singer and we were doing this whole label thing. And, you know, he said, well, I, I want to find out more about that. Tell me more about that. So when I broke down to him, the staff that I already pretty much had as far as uh, a PR firm behind me, you know, uh, people that would produce the records. My wife already writes the records. So that's one less thing he had to worry about. It was easy. You know, it was easy sitting down and saying, well, let me hear some of her stuff. So I let it hurt, let him hear a few demos with him and his attorney. And the rest was history. I mean, he said, man, you know, she's talented. OK, you have the head for this stuff. I see that you pretty much have a team put together. Well, let's do this. Let, 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 let's put some stuff behind it and see what happens. Well, <laughs> so the first four years, you know, I had a lot of backing uh, and a lot of confidence from, you know, from Russell and, and a lot of support. So it wasn't too difficult to just put some product out that we really believed in. And uh, I have to say, I mean, that was 1996 and we're still going strong today. You know, it's no longer called Nap Records. Now it's called Nap Vision Entertainment since the year since the year of 2000. And uh, since then. Forget about it. She's had uh, two number ones, a number three, and a number 10 on the charts. This current album, uh, Something for Everybody, was Grammy considered. You know, they looked at it and took it and considered it for a Grammy. Off that album, like I said, to have two number ones, a number three, and a number 10 off that album as an independent label and an independent artist is almost impossible, especially in today's game. Well, I mean, it definitely sounds like you married up. So shout out to your wife and and that success. That's phenomenal. So we'll definitely put some links to the uh, the the music on the website. So my my question though is, it, it didn't just stop there though, did it? Like the the Nap Vision App Entertainment, it turned into more than just that, right? Yeah, that's what it, that's how it started, and then it, it flowed into this like documentaries, for instance, the one that I have now. Uh, Inside the Jersey was, was was something that was was kind of brought to me last year. Uh, Scholar Callahan, who 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 owns Dub V Nation, uh, asked me if if it was if it would be an honor for him to want to do their first documentary on me, which I, I pinched myself because I said this is incredible. This will be my opportunity to give something back to the great fans of West Virginia, the great state of West Virginia, and the university. My way of saying thank you for all of the support. Um, so I, I jumped at the opportunity because it was just something that I really, I always, I pretty much always wanted to do. Uh, so when he put that on the table, I said, oh man, yeah, definitely. So we shot it a few months ago. Um, it's it's it's, it's uh, in the can, so to speak. It's being edited now. I went ahead and, and locked in the distribution deal with, um, with, a, with, with Primo Media. And that's going to put this documentary out in mid March to late March on 11 different platforms, uh, which is an amazing amount when you stop to think about it, because once again, it'll put me in, you know, millions of households, you know what I mean? With this documentary. So my wife wrote the title track, uh, to this documentary, which is for the state. <laughs> she wrote a record literally for the state of West Virginia. So we're going to release that God willing on my birthday, which is February 17th. Um, and again, I, I, I'm pinching myself because it's falling right in line with everything that when you put a blueprint together, you don't know. You just don't know how that's going to work out. They always say, if you want to hear God laugh with a hearty roar, tell him what your plans are. So, <laughs> so 
you're right in your story. You have all this you know, going on, and we, we definitely look forward to the documentary coming out. But you, you talked about how it's your opportunity to give back to the people from West Virginia. But, you know, from, from what I've been able to find out, you've done some giving back already. Like, I understand you're, you're involved in teaching and some public speaking. And, you know, I mentioned yes. at the top of the show, you're also a, a best-selling author. So, I mean, tell me, tell me about some of that and, and where that inspiration came from and how you got involved there. Definitely. Writing, uh, writing has always been therapeutic for me. Even as a kid, I enjoy writing. Um, I do my best writing at night, actually, when, when you know, the days are over and I want to sit down and jot some notes down. So I actually fell in love with writing when I was in college, my freshman, sophomore year, just like I said, just writing in, in journals and putting down my thoughts or whatever. So a few years ago, I decided to, to pin a book. A good friend of mine had a best-selling book out and, and he's one of my colleagues. So I sat down and was talking to him about his process. And I've always understood, you know, for me, I like the independent route and everything that I do. I just think that independent, it, it, it's worked for me in the record industry. It's worked for me in the distribution game as far as, you know, a documentary situation is concerned. So I took the same route um, with the book. You know, I talked to him about it and was looking at his book. And he introduced me, you know, to an online company uh, where... They pretty much you, you write it. They'll they'll you know you submit it to them. If they like it, they'll pick it up, and that's what wound up happening. So, the book is the title of the book is Dream Real. Um, I put about I put it out in two thousand and six, and I put it out through a company called iUniverse. Um, and before you know it, uh, what was it? About a month in, it became a Barnes and Noble's bestseller. And it became an Amazon you know dot com bestseller. It was up for Independent Book of the Year. So, <laughs> that opened up some opportunities for Verizon Wireless to step in and give me an opportunity to do my first speaking tour, you know, uh, um, which was a beautiful opportunity, you know, got a chance to go out on the road and, 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 and speak with kids on the elementary, middle and high school levels that turned into opportunities to go speak on a corporate level um, as a motivational speaker. So, you know, that kind of clicked. And again, having a best-selling book and being a best-selling author just opened up doors to do other, you know, open up doors for other opportunities for me. Um, so the motivation just came from putting something down on, you know, writing, getting my feelings and, and, and getting some of my experiences out there to help other people. So that's really where that came from. You know, my mom was heavily involved with allowing me to, to, to just talk about, you know, her story and, and my story and to use some of the trials and tribulations in, in, in our life to help somebody else. You know what I mean? And, and that's really where the motivation came from. So on top of that, so, so now you're involved, so you're involved in music, you're, you're an author. Now you're on the speaking tour, so to speak, you're talking to youth, you're talking to, you know, even a corporate setting and doing everything you can to, you know, just try to help people betterment in, in one way, shape or form. But it, even then, it still doesn't stop because you also got involved in the, the business of being a sports agent, correct? Yes. Yeah. Sports agent for 10 years. And again, that started, you'll laugh uh, because of my wife. You know, uh, I remember when my agent at the time, uh, my wife, like, again, she was, like I said, a tremendous ball player, but she played at, at a small school, small colleges. So um no one would really give her a shot because you figure, I mean, she averaged almost 40 points a game in college. You know what I mean? But again, coming from Jersey State and Union County College, those two small schools, no one really took her serious. So I said, OK, you know what? Let me let me, let me mess around with this a little bit and see what I can do. <laughs> so I'm, you know, just pushing her stuff out to the different places. And lo and behold, through a good friend of mine, I wound up meeting Van Chancellor, who at the time was the head coach and general manager of the Houston Comet. So, you know, we meet. Um, I let him know about my wife. He gives me an opportunity to 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 he tells me about a, a free agent camp that he runs every year in in in, uh, in Michigan. So he invites her out to that. She goes out, and I mean, absolutely destroys it. <laughs> absolutely destroys it. So we get a chance to go to actually go actually go to Houston. So we go to Houston. A few months, well, a few weeks before the, the, the draft that year. And again, she has a great showing. Problem is, he had three of the best players in the world with Cheryl Swoops and Cynthia Cooper. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the, the godmothers of the WNBA back then, right? Exactly. So there was no spot on his roster. So he said, listen, I have an opportunity. Um, let her go back to Jersey. You train, train her and bring her back to Michigan in a few months. There's an open workout that we're going to have. And 
I, I guarantee you, she, I'm sure she would do well. And that's exactly what happened. So she we wound up doing that. She winds up getting an offer, a free agent offer, to play for the Detroit Shock. <laughs> and it was an amazing thing because at the time, I'm pushing her to do that because her skill level was on that level. And it was actually proven because after three-day combine, so to speak, out there, she winds up the third day getting an offer, a free agent contract to go play. She decides not to do it, but the truth of the story was that kind of opened up everything else for me because a lot of people started to see, well, oh, goodness gracious, if he can do that with someone that played at such a small level, imagine what he can do you know, with people that's coming out playing at such a big level. And that's exactly what wound up happening. So I opened up Nap Sports back then just based off that experience with my wife and knowing how to talk, you know, talk the game myself and those sorts of things. It didn't hurt, you know, and having a background on Wall Street, a financial background, having, an, uh, you know, the, the understanding of, of, of how to negotiate and how to write contracts, all those things kind of helped. And my first major client was actually Cheryl Swoops. Okay. She was, I was in the Cheryl for four years. And then it was, I don't know if you're familiar with Anne One, the street basketball uh, series, Anne One. You know, I think for a period of time, I don't know how you couldn't be because it was all over TV for a hot minute for a few years. But uh, absolutely, yeah. very familiar with it. 80% of that roster. Main event was my first client on that team, and uh, he got me all the rest of those guys. So I represented about 80% of Anne One when they were at the height of their careers. So that turned into uh, Timo Perez, who was a Major League Baseball player, which then turned into Birdie Kim, who won the U.S. Open. That was a really good run. At one point, I had about 22 clients, a lot of them playing overseas, and a lot of the w, most of the WNBA. When you have Cheryl Swoops at the time, who was the Michael Jordan of the league, um, I pretty much had the pick of the litter of anybody else I wanted to sign. So it, it was a good run. It was a good 10-year run. It stopped when my son became old enough to get, you know, get recruited in high school. And I started getting into high school coaching. You know, you can't be a sports agent if you're coaching on a high school level. Uh, and then obviously, once your kid goes to college, it becomes real. And I get it. The NCAA is, is completely right. They got that, that right. They don't, you know, it's kind of difficult to be an agent. Um, if you want to be involved in coaching at those levels. Yeah, I think the NCAA, so, they're, they're having some issues with agents right now. So that's probably a, probably a good reason to, to step away and focus on your family. I completely understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm more impressed that you were able to, to build that roster like that and people just didn't look at you and say, what well, was his wife? You know, that's why she got so funny. <laughs> but, you know, it still turned into this great, uh, you know, business for you guys. But then you kind of got out of that. And, you know, what, so what have you been doing lately? Well, all these years, I've still been teaching. I started teaching, you know, back uh, a few years back, special ed, mostly disturbed, uh, behavioral, behavioral disability kids, BD and ED, mostly disturbed. Um, this is my 24th year at the middle school level. I've been in one school for 19 years and I started back in Jersey City. I was there for five. So this is going into my 24th year of teaching. And <laughs> I'll tell you something, that is probably the most noble job that I think anyone can have is when you're working with young people and you're trying to help shape and mold their lives for them to make better decisions and good decisions. And be successful in their own right. So for me, I use everything in my toolbox from where I've come from to help them realize their potential dreams. Well, you're definitely putting the passion into everything, it sounds like. I mean, especially not not even dealing with just your everyday run-of-the-mill kids. I mean, to, to go out of your way and the ones that probably need the most help and the most support, and, and that's where you're isolating you know, your efforts to. That's that's definitely – I think you said it best. I mean, that's, that's a noble thing to do anytime you help kids, but especially in that that segment. And and to still balance everything else that's going on, I mean, that's, that's impressive. I'm not going to lie. I appreciate it. Trust me, I appreciate it. I'll tell you something. About eight months ago, and it's still on sale now, we – myself – Major Harris and Coach Nealon, we have a deal with Retro Brand. It's it's a licensing deal. Um, my jersey and T-shirt, uh, Major Harris's jersey and T-shirt, and Coach Nealon has a T-shirt that's out, like I said, through Retro Brand. Retro Brand's been around for eons. They're sold literally all around the state of West Virginia, and you can find them in some places even outside of the state of West Virginia. But 
to see someone buy a Eugene Napoleon jersey or a Major Harris number nine jersey or a Darnell and T-shirt 30 plus years later. You want to talk about why I'm so excited and why I love the state and the university so much. That's one of the major reasons. All of these years later, I just did this deal, a two-year licensing deal. Like I said, I signed it, uh, I want to say in August. So when you think about that, 30 years later, <laughs> to, to see my jersey, see people walking around with a Napoleon number 33 on, it, 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 it takes my breath away. My mom and dad are both gone. God called them home a few years ago. My mom a few years ago, my dad back in the, the mid or well, the early 90s. I'm grateful because I can look up and, 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 and know that they're proud to see that Napoleon name with somebody wearing it <laughs> all these years later. Those things that that means so much to me. So that's another reason why this Inside the Jersey documentary is so important, because it's laced with the thank yous and it talks about my time in Morgantown, but more importantly, it's really my tribute and my way of saying thank you to the entire state just for the great in the many years of support, the great support that they've given me and my family. So I wanted to definitely say that because that that's important to me. Well, Eugene, I can tell you this 100%. Growing up in West Virginia, anytime, especially if it's a Mountaineer, when when they embrace the state the way you have, man, we embrace you right back. And I'm sure that that feeling is mutual, and and I'm sure you feel that. So it's definitely exciting to have that documentary coming out, and and you know we'll definitely share that information out with everybody. They can they can look on our website, look on the social media pages to make sure they're following along because we want to help get that out there as much as possible. And you know we all love all things West Virginia anyway. So if we can celebrate, you know, a former player who's you know still always in love with the state and the school, we want to do that. I really appreciate it. And don't forget, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be really happy <laughs> on February 17th. It's my birthday. Like I said, we're releasing the title track to that Inside the Jersey documentary. It's called, I'll, I'll, I'll let it out here now, it's called 304. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's going to be your new single from Naya. Uh, 304 and, and, and it's it's again it is the title track for the documentary but more importantly it's for the great state of West Virginia and anyone who's grown up there lived there went to school at the university um, that's what it's for you know uh, and, and I can't wait I am super excited to release this particular record because I want the world to hear it um, my wife did the research on the entire state so every word is about West Virginia Every word of it. So is it going to be bigger than Country Roads, you think? <laughs> no, I'm not even trying to put that pressure on you. Don't, don't, listen, <laughs> I love some Country Roads now. No, but hey, listen, I'll say this. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that everyone who listens to it, they will enjoy it because it, it definitely embraces everything that is what, what it means to be from the state. It embraces what it means to be uh, a mountaineer. And all of that, it incorporates all of that. So I'm sure people, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I'll say this, I'm hoping that they will enjoy it once, once they hear it, you know, on uh, the 17th. Well, awesome. Well, early happy birthday for that. And we look forward to hearing that. We always like hearing stuff about our state. It makes us fill up with pride a little bit, especially when it, when it comes from one of our own, even though you were born in New Jersey, you're, you're one of our own. We can't deny that. So early- I appreciate it. Real quick before I I'll let you go, just uh you know hit back to some uh, WVU kind of news and athletics there a little bit. You know what do you think about the new head coaching hire with Neil Brown? Listen, I've been following Neil Brown for the last few years when he was at Troy. This guy and and I, I you may read some of my posts. The minute I was hoping and praying that we would get this man because he's a high character individual, a high character individual. Reminds me of my high school coach. Reminds me of a little bit of Don Nealon. You know what I mean? As far as this guy stands on principles and morals. He stands on value. Um, that's something that's needed. You know, he's going to be a great, you know, he's going to represent the, the university, the state, and, and our fan base and the players very, very well. Um, you know, that's so important because he's the leader of a university. He's a brand. He's a face of the brand. He's a CEO. You know what I mean? And you have to have those qualities when you're going out and you're li- literally leading a university. You know, he's a leader of men. 
So to have him lead this program in this great tradition, it means a lot. There's a lot that goes with this stuff. It means a lot. You just couldn't put anybody in that spot and expect them to be successful. But he's proven that he's won every place he's ever gone. He's a great recruiter because he recruits character and he knows how to develop the people, the kids that he brings in. That's important. You got to have all of that if you want to be successful, especially, you know, last I checked, I believe with a 14th winningest football program in the history of college football. I'll give you something that'll make you feel maybe a little worse. We've won more games than any other school that has yet to win the national championship. Yes. Yep. Um, I was, I was aware of that. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to bring up old memories or anything. My, my bad. Yes. I was aware of that, but you know what? <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping and praying, and I'm sure every Mountaineer fan is with me on this, that we can get this done within a few short years. I, I'm with I'm, you. Uh, everything I've seen and heard about Neil Brown, I, I'm excited. I feel like it was a home run, and and you know what? The the one thing I just wanted to see was the fan base get unified, and it sure seems like it's happened. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got to got to show us. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I'm – I'm glad we got him. So how often do you get back to Morgantown nowadays? Um, is you know what? As often as I can. This past season I was there one, two, three, four times. Okay. Four times. And in the year prior, I actually shot um a personal documentary called Driven that's not out. Um and coach I went down to to the Baylor game and Coach Nealon was great. Uh, you know, I was he. I, I was. It was gracious of his time. He gave me about a thirty-minute interview. <laughs> so we sat uh, a little restaurant downtown in Morgantown and got a little bite to eat and uh, talked about the good old days. And like I said, he gave me about thirty minutes. You know, for that documentary. And uh, so, you know, I was there twice that year. So the last two years, I got you know uh, about six times. And God willing, I'm hoping to get back a lot more this year. I went down to do an autograph signing for my jersey um, at the bookstore on campus uh, just a few months. Uh, matter of fact, what was it? November. I was there in November. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm supposed to be there in, in, in March for the release. Uh, I want to do a, a launch actually in Morgantown uh, for the fans. So I'm looking forward to that, God willing, and um, getting back there as much as I can you know, for some of the home games. Well, like like I said earlier, you know, it's never never okay really to say former Mountaineer. You just have to say still a Mountaineer, right? <laughs> Once a Mountaineer, always a Mountaineer. That's it. <laughs> well, Eugene, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time today, and definitely look forward to you know, having you back on the show sometime. And maybe next time, you know, we got the the crew up in Morgantown. We'll try to see if we can uh, hook up and and maybe uh, do a little something face to face and go go talk to some fans or something. We'll we'll do something down the road. But it was a pleasure talking to you this evening. Listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, you don't know how much this means to me. I love talking. Uh, Mountaineer football. I love talking about our university. I love talking about the great state of West Virginia and the fan base. So anytime uh, I will look forward. You you let me know whenever I can come on the show. It, it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Oh, you got it. And, and likewise, thank you so much for spending the time with us and giving all that insight and letting everybody know a little backstory on who Eugene Napoleon is. Brother, thank you so much for coming on the show and we'll talk to you next time. You got it.